My name is Jake Carlson, uh, a member here at CF. I'm also a student at Moody Bible Institute uh, downtown, and my wife and I over there, we have the privilege of working directly with our missionaries here uh, at the church that the church supports. Uh, I'm also privileged to be here while Sergey is away, as we've mentioned a couple times, preaching in another church. And today we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 21, mainly. As I was growing up, uh, the Lord took hold of my heart and has given me a treasure in Him. It is a pleasure to be a part of His family, to be a part of His plan, um, and, and it's a plan that has changed me and compels me to desire other people to see Him, to be a part of that plan. Um, and part of that desire will be seen, hopefully, in today's message and what we talk about and the verses that we look at. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Father, thank You for the day. Thank You for... Um, this building that we can gather in. Thank you for the freedom to gather here to discuss your word, to uh, look at verses that, that tell us more about you, that draw us to you, that show uh, your greatness in our lives. I pray as we look over the ministry of reconciliation and what it means to be an ambassador, uh, as we think about the ministries going on in the church right now, uh, upstairs with kids and um, ministries throughout the week and the ministries missionaries that we support. We just pray that you would be uh, bringing people to you through those ministries, bringing those people uh, to a right relationship and, and just all the beauty and all the glory that that entails. Be with us as we study your word, as we approach your word, um, that we may enjoy and that we may walk away uh, feeling fulfilled by you uh, and empowered by you and just uh, close to you. In your name, amen. Okay. You may not know. It's a little loud. <clears throat> you may not know Anson Burlingame. There really isn't much reason at all for you to know him. But if you're from Illinois, most likely you do know Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was president of the not so United States during the Civil War. But Anson Burlingame was his ambassador. He was appointed by President Lincoln to be the ambassador to China, and. He had a different approach than most men to politics. He cared more for diplomacy. He cared more for equality. He cared more for people than typical imperialistic politics where people would come into China and uh, try and take things from them and demand their way and overpower them. So he quickly found acceptance among the Chinese people. He quickly found um, love and care, and they quickly really held on to him and valued him, so much so that they bonded with him and that he was sent with Chinese ambassadors to Europe at one point in history just to fulfill some uh, treaties with them, to speak for them, to be their voice to European um, countries and nations and kings. And we, we know that while Lincoln was in America navigating the Civil War, while he was writing documents, while he was fighting, while he was dealing with all those things, that Halfway around the globe, his ambassador was changing the world. Uh, there was even a treaty later that was created after the Civil War, which created friendly relations between um, the, United, the United States and China. And this helped to set up a relationship that um, Anson Burlingame had a, had a hand in. And um, we'll come back to this, to what this has to do with where we're going. But he's an ambassador for the United States, and he spoke on behalf of President Lincoln. And uh, he created a relationship with a country um, that created a friendly relationship that helped them to be a part of the United States during pivotal moments of both of the countries um, 
histories. So we're going to be looking at our verses, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 21. And that is verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We find the Apostle Paul in the city of Corinth. Corinthians was written to a city of Corinth, this letter, uh, a small um, port city that was rapidly growing in uh, ancient Greece. Ancient um, Greece, it was uh, two, two cities that had kind of grown together and they had ports, and it was a booming economy. But 80 years before Paul had been there, um, had gone to the city, it had been destroyed completely, just razed to the ground, burned everything, erased. And then it started to be rebuilt. So 80 years before he gets there, it's rebuilt. There's a whole new system, a whole new economy, a whole new political understanding. There are three things that I think are important for what this new city is experiencing. In the Corinth, flooded people looking to make a new name for themselves. This included former slaves, people who had previously been uh, under slavery, that they had now become freed, and they were able to find a new place, a new place to start um, their new life. Uh, there was high political offices to newly aspiring people, Sometimes people with the right amount of money, sometimes people with the right amount of words, and the right way to say them, they could gain high, pol high political office. And there was also a large emperor cult. Now there were some cults throughout the ancient world that would honor and worship emperors. So there was an emperor here, and they would say, this emperor is great, and they would walk around, and they would love him, and they would give him gifts, and they never really saw him, but they would still be considered emperor worshipers. And then this is the church that we step into. We step into looking at these, this passage, looking at First and Second Corinthians, the, the books and the letters that he wrote. We step into this church and we see that this is a melting pot of ideals and cultures. The church was boiling with tension. Uh, they were struggling with comparing themselves to the city around them, struggling with understanding what this new life in Christ is, along with their cultural identities, what that does for them. So there was a lot of struggle that Paul is writing about. And they were comparing themselves to the city surrounding them, and they were just confused. Now, something about Paul, the apostle, wrote a lot of New Testament letters, a lot of the letters that end in I-A-N-S, the Colossians, the Ephesians, Philippians. He wrote those to cities and to people. Um, but something that I love about 2 Corinthians is that this is the most emotional letter that we have from him. This is the most open-hearted words that he ever wrote. And the language that he uses in this, you can tell that he is really tugging at his heart and he is really just showing it all out there for the Corinthians to see. He was facing shame and slander against his ministry, against what he was doing in Corinth. People were coming against the church and even people in the church were coming against him. So he's, he is at a very emotional point, and he writes these words, and we can really see that he embraces Christ, and he embraces 
the ministry, and he stands behind this newness that the gospel brings. So in verse 18, he talks about things. He says, now all these things are from God. All these things. What are these things? Well, if we would look at the previous verses, we would see uh, some of the things that these things are that not limited to, but there's becoming a new creation by setting aside a fleshly life. That's one of the things that those who are reconciled to God have. They're spending eternity with God for everlasting life, walking with God during earthly life. These are all things that people are beginning to experience that are new for them, something that they're trying to begin to understand. These are the things from God. Paul moves the conversation then to God since all the things are from him and focuses focuses on where and how these benefits come to us. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In this verse, there's a, there's a nuance, something that we might miss, something of a system that we don't understand, but the Corinthians would have understood, and that's the client-patron system. If you've ever been in a system or if you've ever been in a situation where you have a client, a patron, and you're one or the other, you might understand that a little better. But what we would see is Throughout the city, throughout Corinth, there would be festivals and there would be feasts. There would be maybe not big balloon parades like we're used to having, but they would have a type of festival and a type of feast, and they would all be supported by the emperor or rich individuals, whoever had political power, whoever decided to make great their name. They would support these festivals and these feasts, and the people would come, and it was understood that the people that were enjoying the festival, the people that were getting sustained by the feast, would be loyal to those who were providing that feast. That they would be, they would say things good of the emperor, they would say things good of the rich people, and they would say, this person gave us this great feast, they're a great person, well, I'm going to tell other people that they're great. And it began this setup of a client and patron system where there would be statues upon statues of this emperor's face with little inscription of how great he is, this emperor's body, this person's land, this person's plaque that says they won something or they have high honor. And the Corinthians would have understood that when Paul here is talking about Christ and God giving giving something to them, that they would see that this client-patron system is working where the new life in Christ is a gift from God. While statues around Corinth would seem to make manifest the emperor or other high loyal citizens. The believers in the city are themselves the statues. Just like today in Chicago, they and us, we make visible the presence of God in our lives to the city around them and the city around us. The Corinthians letter here that Paul is writing is, is very clear that he is calling them to something else. He's calling them to be separate. He's calling them to be a voice. He's calling them to be ambassadors for God. Of course, we must understand reconcile, as confusing of a word as it is, as Paul understands it and as his readers understand it. Because I understand reconcile as Arnold Schwarzenegger coming in and making the whole situation right and taking the place over and this big action movie scene where they come in, the little guy always wins with the help from some supernaturally strong guy. and That's not really how Paul understands it from what I look at, and we see that Paul is the only writer in the Bible who uses the word reconcile. So that kind of helps us when we look at, well, how does this word make sense? What does it really mean? 
He uses it to express men who were enemies of God becoming heirs in the family, becoming sons and daughters in the family. He uses it to express peace that men have with God through Christ's blood. He uses it to express peace for those who were far away from God and now being brought to him. He even uses it to describe a wife returning to her husband and that reconciliation that they experience in their marriage coming together. For Paul, reconciliation is God making peace with men through his son to bring them to a right relationship with him. So we, that, we see that it's God making peace with men through his son to bring them to a right relationship with him. In our cultural society, uh, we view sin as a moral failure uh, that produces guilt in us. I did something wrong and I feel bad. This guilt then separates us from God did something wrong, and I feel bad, so therefore I shouldn't be near God. But to Paul's audience, they lived in a more honor-shame society, just kind of like their client, patron, that we have to understand. We need to understand honor-shame society and what that means. Uh, A sin in their context was more of a breach of personal relationship, resulting in an outcast of the shamed member. Uh, This caused shame to the member who was honoring the relationship. Sure, we've all had relationships where there's been something that causes that relationship to no longer be a relationship. There's something that splits that apart, and there's something or someone that usually has to come in and make that relationship right and bring it back. So when Paul talks about trespasses and sins, essentially what he's saying is between God and man, there is a gap. There is this barrier to that, that the shame and honor system The relationship has been broken. To shame another party required restitution. If you do something wrong to me, sorry about that. If you do something wrong to me, you're going to pay. If something happens, you're going to have to comp. You're going to have to re. re You're going to have to compensate me. If this happens, this will have to happen. So it required restitution or some form of payment or reprisal, getting something back to make the relationship right. In Paul's understanding, God is shamed by man. So God is shamed by men because they dishonor that relationship. And yet it is God who reconciles and it is man who is reconciled. This is a familiar concept in the New Testament, but this is foreign to some of us and foreign to the church in Corinth. We understand that if we do something wrong, we have to apologize, we have to make restitution, we have to do something right to fix what we broke. But Paul is saying that that there's something broken that we broke that God is fixing. And this is completely different from what they would have understood or experienced. And this is through Christ and Christ alone. In John 14.6, we read that Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So throughout his ministry, Jesus is telling them that He is the one who is going to reconcile. He is the one who is going to bring people to the Father. He is the one that's going to bridge that gap that that we can't bridge. So we have a common problem in that God is here, man is here, and they're ashamed, separating all men from him. The only way to remove that separation and find that peace, that right relationship, is through his Son. And this is the message that our missionaries bring with them. This is the message that... um, the people who are volunteering in the church right now, upstairs, and the people that are working around the world to bring Christ to the nations. This is what they bring. It is the good news to a struggling human race, wondering why everything's 
seems like there's something broken. This news, uh, as Philip Hughes puts it, Philip Hughes is just another one of those guys that reads the Bible and writes stuff about it and is probably a really smart, but he says something good about this. He says that this message, this is the one thing needful for our world in all circumstances and in every generation. And this news is not simply a plea for social justice, helping the homeless or tithing faithfully. This is the service of bringing those who were far from God and without eternal life to the very presence of God, the forgiveness and restoration. This is the ministry that doesn't just help to put the bottle down. This is the ministry that creates a new person. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And this is just mind-blowing for the Corinthian church. That these new things, remember we talked about the things, these things are coming from God, making them new, improving their relationship. That they're being reconciled, they're being brought into a healthy, right relationship with God through His action in their lives, through His restitution. In verse 19, we see that in this reconciliation is the fact that it requires God to not count trespasses against those who are reconciled to him. Verse, t- verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. To, to look at this and kind of understand what this might mean, what, this, uh, what we can understand more about it is in John 19, 30, Christ dies upon the cross. He takes some sour wine and he says, it is finished, and then he gives up his spirit. And those words, it is finished, his last words, I'm sure some of us have read that, it is finished, is, is actually a common saying in marketplaces or in places where transactions would have happened a lot. Um, what it kind of looks like today is, if I walk into the gas station over here, uh, I grab my soda, put it in, fill it up, and grab my bag of peach rings and I walk up to the register and I hand them money. At the moment I hand them money, the ownership of the soda and peach rings transfers to me. They're now mine. They were the gas station attendants, but now they're mine. And I hand them my money and that ownership transfers as well. They put it in a register, press a couple buttons, it opens up, makes a really cool sound. And then on the screen there's, there's words that usually come up. Something like transaction completed. I handed them my money, I received the soda and the peach rings, and transaction was completed. So Christ dies on the cross and he says these words, it is finished. And what's beautiful is those are the words that when we see transaction completed, that's what he's saying. Um, A light reads on the register that this is paid for. John is saying that the death uh, on the cross by Christ, that this is finished. This is the payment for sins the sins of those who are reconciled to God, that this way, in this way, Christ essentially handed himself over to pay for our sins, and we in turn gained his righteousness. He has committed this word in ministry to his people, us, the church, the people who have been reconciled and brought near to him. God is making his appeal through those who have been reconciled. This is important. God is making his appeal through those who have been reconciled. This makes believers ambassadors of Christ. Do you remember Anson Burlingame? Not President Lincoln, but his ambassador, this ambassador to China. Lincoln sent him halfway around the world with the authority of the president. 
We see that both Lincoln and Anson valued equality no matter the race. They cared for people. And it was through Anson Burlingame that a relationship with America and China was improved. How much more do we bring to the world? Not a political agenda, but a message of the only way to become right with God. Paul emphasizes the fact that all people must stand before God in judgment. Earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that this is what compels him, is he knows that people will stand before God in judgment. And this pushes him forward. This pushes him to be an ambassador, to tell people. This is essential to understanding the whole ministry of reconciliation. If people are not in need of a right relationship with God, if there really is no broken connection there, if they are not to be judged by his standards, if there is another way to pay for the shame, if there is no punishment for them, then we and those we send around the world are fools for proclaiming a faulty system. <clears throat> but to those who are without Christ and reconciliation, this is a hard truth, that the penalty of sin is death, eternal death and separation from God. Where this belief is absent, zeal for the answer, this desire and hunger for the truth, eventually becomes absent as well. So why do the Pillais need to work among Hindus if they can just find their own way to holiness? Why does the Pace family focus on training missionaries with this message of reconciliation to send them around the world if everyone will just eventually meander their way to heaven? Believers must answer the call to be the voice of reconciliation around the world because God has chosen them, has chosen us as his method. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We are ambassadors. The ambassadors were sent by kings to deliver the message. They had the authority of the king. They spoke the king's message. They spoke his words, his plans for peace, his plans for everything. They were his voice when he couldn't speak, when he wasn't speaking, when he wasn't in the delegation of ambassadors knocking on the front doors of large castles and gates. And God is making his appeal through Paul in the same way that ambassadors make their appeals to, to people all around the world, even today. His co-workers... He's making the appeal through his co-workers. He's making the appeal through us in the seats. He's making his appeal through people around the world. This means that believers, us here and all around the world, they beg, they implore on behalf of Christ. We are his voice to the lost, his light to the darkened, and his image to the blinded. We are his voice to the lost, his light to the darkened, and his image to the blinded. Paul discusses this idea some in Romans 10, 13-15. He holds up the messengers of the Gospels and declares even their feet to be beautiful. He said, how, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. These beautiful feet of people who walked miles in dirty, nasty roads, mud caked on the bottom of it, and he calls them beautiful. In December, we as a church helped a little bit to purchase a van for one of our missionary families, the Bolt family. And I guess in, in a way we can look at that and say, well, this verse of how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, and we help them buy a van, so we could probably look at that and say, how beautiful are the rubber tires of those who bring good news? How, how beautiful is the exhaust of those who bring good news? How beautiful are the, 
the ruts made in a dirt road, of those who are taking the gospel into places that are hard to reach, we can look at that and say that God is moving through those and that there is more than just a person bringing their idea of how to reach God, their system of how to reach God, that they are bringing the very message that men and women, all of us as humans, can be made right with God. Anything that shows that is beautiful, whether it's their feet or their tires or anything else that they have to prove that and to show that. In verse 20 and 21, we'll move on, and, and, and I see here that Paul gives a straightforward explanation of the reconciliation of God. He sums up his whole ambassadorial entreaty, what he brings, what he's saying. He sums it all up in verses 20 and 21. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And this is his message. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made a sinless, innocent Christ bear the burden of the world's sin. This was done so that people everywhere would believe in him and become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Christ bore the penalty of sin. He was able to impute those who believe in him with, re with reconciliation to God. Impute, it's kind of confusing, right? So in a marketplace or accountant terms, uh, he was able to credit. He was able to, to give. He was able to... Uh, Maybe debit might be closer. He was able to say, I have paid for this, and this person has now been paid for by my righteousness. As Philip Hughes again comes up, and he, he says that there is no sentence more profound in the whole of Scripture, for this verse embraces the whole ground of the sinner's reconciliation to God and declares the indisputable reason why they should respond to the ambassador's appeal. Through this gift of grace and forgiveness, Paul's message finds its pinnacle, finds its climax, it finds the height of what it's supposed to reach and what the forgiven people become, what we become. We become new. This is the message of reconciliation, that we have been made new and close to God. The new life separated from God but now brought near even made the righteousness of him, the very righteousness of God, where the believers change states from guilty and not in a relationship to righteous and an heir of the kingdom of God. Any other false righteousness cannot pay for the penalty. We as a church are committed to this ministry. We as a, as a church body, as a church building, as a church sending agent, sending people and, and supporting people around the world, we are committed to this ministry. Reconciliation is central to the purpose of the gospel. We have ministers around the world who take uh, the ministry very seriously. They take it to heart and they proclaim the grace of God to very direct enemies of God. Believers who are persecuted constantly, they face constant uh, aggravation from political leaders and laws that force uh, Muslim uh, oppression onto them. There's one of our missionaries who was having a hard time. They were dealing with uh, new converts and a new law had been put in place that any convert from uh, Islam to Christianity must fill out a legal form to let the state know, not the state, let the 
the district or the province know that they have changed their religious identity now from Islam to Christian. And they must be put on a register so that um, those in charge know who now is being changed, who is giving this new life. And this was a struggle for the missionaries because it's really hard for people to, to do that because they know that with that registry comes persecution. With that registry becomes blacklisting of their names, that they can no longer get jobs or that they make it harder for them to do things that they need to do. Do you think getting going to the DMV is tough? And it is. But imagine having that and then trying to go to the DMV. So that this is causing a lot of struggle and um, hardships for those who are accepting Christ around the world. Um, <clears throat> if you turn to 2 Corinthians 6, 4-10, to we see that Paul and his companions are very understanding of this. And the fight is very clear to those who are on the field. Different parts of 4-10 to say things like, in much endurance, affliction, and hardships, in hunger, in patience, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left, by glory and honor, evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, unknown yet well known, dying yet behold we lived, punished yet not put to death, as having nothing yet possessing all things. This is the struggle of his ministry. And our missionaries around the field are experiencing this as well. There are people all over the world that, that are feeling this in a very real way. In my conclusion, I, I appeal to you, the church, if you have received this grace, if you have received this reconciliation, part of Paul's message, part of my message, is to not do so in vain. Second uh, Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 2, right after Paul gives his ambassador entreaty, he tells people this is the message he's bringing, he then tells the church, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We are in this ministry together. <clears throat> we embrace what Christ has done and the forgiveness we have. We've been brought to him and made righteous and clean before God. We're working together with God, and he is making his appeal through us. How will anyone know of what they have available if we are not the ones to tell them? And if you haven't received this grace, this reconciliation, if you are far from God, he is here through this text. He is here speaking to you, hoping that you would understand and heal that he, he is making his appeal through us as a church body. He is making his appeal through me, standing here, asking you and telling you, begging you to be made right with God, to accept the punishment that he paid for. Not to accept the punishment he paid for, but to accept that he paid for it. And he paid for your punishment. And he wants you to be made right with God. And God wants you. And he is using today as the acceptable time, as the day of salvation, to bring you into a relationship with him. As part of this, we come to the table here. Uh, the atoning sacrifice of Christ is on the table. And... And with this communion table, what we have is that a remembrance of, of what God has done, what he has done for us personally and as a group. And we come and we give thanks and we remember that, that, that we at one point were far from him, that we were separated from him, and that he stepped in, gave us that payment, and brought us near to him. 
and that is seen by communion. So we will administer communion here, and we're going to have one of the elders come up, and he will help us as we approach the table, and we approach it uh, as righteous, as holy, as heirs of the kingdom, and all the glory that that brings with it.